up, everybody? Welcome back to another exciting episode of Debating Metal. I am your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host, Chris Kay. When it comes to this music we love called heavy metal, not everyone is going to agree on their favorite songs or albums. We all have our own favorites. We even have what we sometimes call our hidden gems. You know those times when you mention an album to a friend and they say, who the hell are you talking about? You love that album, but you can never find anyone to discuss it with. Sometimes the band fizzles out before they hit it big. It was a side project nobody really knew about. Or the album had a horrible cover. Kenneth and I picked four albums each that we think need, they demand, a second chance. And once we're done talking about that, we'll give you our big four metal duets. So sit back, relax, turn it up to 11, and let the debate begin. Chris, this week, Hidden Gems. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of those, and it's hard to pick four. <laughs> you know, and it's it's kind of a weird thing because you might think of an album as being popular and no one knows about it. Or you might think of an album as being popular and a lot of people do know about it, but have kind of forgotten about it or really they don't pay attention to it anymore. It kind of needs that reconsideration again. And that's, you know, and I, I would still put that under the hidden gem category because if it's not in the mainstream, in mainstream for heavy metal, just being general awareness, um, if it's not out there, you know, sometimes people just forget that it exists and it, it's not talked about, you know? And sometimes it just needs the right thing to happen to, like maybe a, a song's in a movie or something to bring popularity back to it. Yeah, like that, like that hidden gem master of puppets that showed up on Stranger Things. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a hidden gem for sure. <laughs> yeah, nobody. But you knows know what? About it, that it, song. <laughs> but it being on Stranger Things really helped get a resurgence out of that song, though. So that is true. Absolutely, and and I had mentioned this before when we talked about. Um, I believe it was when we talked about seventy two seasons or the or the M seventy two tour. Um that song master of puppets is now part of their closer uh group of songs that they use you know like seek and destroy mm-hmm. because it was never a encore kind of song for them they never put it after an encore or during an encore whatever you want to call it it was always middle of the set early early on the set maybe sometimes late three quarter portion of the set, but it was never like the set closer or the main set closer. And it was never an encore. And now it is. So that's, it's pretty surprising in that regards. I think it's sometimes just being on a TV show makes some of these songs popular. I remember there was a huge push for, it was a Kate Bush song. Uh, and, uh, it just got huge, especially on TikTok. And you couldn't get through like three videos without the song from that, that, show being on there so yeah that was from stranger things yeah exactly yeah i'm just saying like uh. being on stranger things would probably get some of these the albums over yeah, <laughs> yeah one more season and they're gonna do it again yeah so. all right so we've got four albums each that we're gonna talk about and just say how we feel about them and why we feel about it that way and Maybe, you know, I won't like yours. Maybe I will like yours. Maybe I already knew about yours. Who knows? Or maybe I have five and I'm still trying to decide which four. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no honorable mentions. 
<laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to kick this thing off um, with an album that, it, oddly enough, like when I was in Florida, obviously I, you know, I knew about the band because the band's from Florida that I'm going to talk about. Um, and they they had some popularity in the major cities, New York, Los Angeles. I'm assuming Los Angeles because they were, you know, they were a relatively national act for a while. But um, everywhere else, and, and granted, Houston, major, major market, but almost feels like a small town. Um, this is... Uh, what I'm going to talk about is Saigon Kick, and I'm going to talk about their first album. They had two albums. The second one just as good, or if not better. But I'm going to talk about the first album because the first they have al- more than two albums. So. Oh yeah, but you know, not with the original lineup. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> After the third one, it just went downhill fast. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so the first album was their debut. Obviously, their debut album. Um, that came out in 1991 and I put that as a top five 1991 heavy metal album because even though all that shit that came out in September and August, September and October of 1991, that was really, you know, great Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Metallica, Guns N' Roses, Ozzy, all that shit that came out at that time. This to me still ranks somewhere in the top five. Cause it's just to me an amazing album. Um, and really what it is, is it, it, for those of you out there who don't know who Saigon Kick is, they were a Fort Lauderdale, Miami, you know, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Miami band uh, that um, mixed 80s, 90s heavy metal style music um, with Beatles-esque harmonies. Amazing. So the singer, Matt Kramer, and the guitar player, Jason Beeler, they harmonized virtually perfectly together. I mean, their voices were very, very similar. Um, so much so that Jason decided that, you know, he was better off without Matt, but that was a whole nother story there. Um, the first album has just got riffs galore. I mean, it's, it's got 14 songs on it. And besides all the riffs and the, and the raw, like it's, it's not a demo, but it sounds so stripped down. Um, it has this great kind of, um, you know, it's a raw sound, but it's not flat or anything. It's not like a demo, but it still has these tremendous dynamics that go along with it. And then, then you, you also see the band's humor and you see their diversity in styles. I mean, there's a song called down by the ocean that, is is just a slow kind of methodical song and then it kicks into this um really bombastic chorus which is very similar to the song um my life that's on that album where it has a kazoo solo in it i mean it's it's just crazy to think about these songs and 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 the fact that they're so diverse yet so heavy I love this album. Um, and if anybody out there doesn't have it, I, if you can somehow find it on, on Amazon or on eBay, pick it up. You will not be disappointed. I would agree with that. I, I mean, we've talked about Saigon kick before. Um, I never knew who they were before I met you and you got me into them. And I love that first album. The second one's not bad. It's probably a little bit more commercial, but the first album to me is, is 
absolutely fantastic. So yeah, I agree yeah. with you. And a couple of years ago for, for one of the record store days. So I don't know if it was record store day, Thanksgiving or black Friday or the regular record store day, they released each of the albums. So it was on two different record store days. They re- released each of the albums in on a special edition. Um, so I, I mean, I immediately ran out and I was like, I'm, it was, it had to be black Friday because I rarely stand in line and it's usually on a day that I have off. So, um, usually, <laughs> usually. So, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of, <laughs> he's, he's, he's online somewhere. <laughs> he's online at the record store. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, and it was weird because I uh, there was something wrong with my record player at the time, and when I put on the the their their lizard album, it didn't sound right, and I had to go readjusting all the sounds and and my 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 uh, receiver. Then I got it to sound right. But anyway, this album's excellent. Like I said, pick it up. Um, you will not be disappointed. All right, what do you got? All right, so I don't know how many people are going to know of this one. Um, so around 2000, uh, this band was formed, and it was a lot of members of the Gothenburg scene kind of came together and did something a little bit different. Like they didn't want to do thrash metal. They didn't want to do melodic metal, so they kind of went more in an alternative direction. Um, this was Anders Frieden, who was the vocalist for In Flames, still is, I guess. Uh, Nicholas England, who was also in In Flames at a couple different times, and uh, he's uh, in, was in Gardenian, uh, Angle, and the, uh, now the Halo Effect. And uh, Patrick Sten and Hakan Skroger, I'm not as familiar with. Patrick uh, Sten was in uh, Dream Evil and Fifth Son, and uh, so he, he was the drummer for this band as well. So they formed a band called Passenger which only released one album. I, I remember going to the record store, at, which was uh, Diamond Head Records, I've mentioned it before, in Houston. Um, unfortunately, they're no longer around. But uh, I remember going, and I had learned when the release date of the album was, and I was like, do you have this album? I had never heard them or anything like that. And the guy was like, I have no freaking idea what you're talking about. So I, I was walking around the store and I, I noticed it on the shelf and he didn't even know he, he stocked the album and that this was the guy who owned and ran the store. <laughs> so, so I picked it up. Um, I listened to it and I really enjoyed it. It's, it's not perfect. It, it doesn't have the very best production. Um, but the, the album, uh, like has some really catchy riffs, really catchy songs, uh, it's a little bit different direction, but you can still feel that like that Gothenburg feeling to it. And uh, there's some really good tracks. Like I really like the track Circles. Um, there's one called Carnival Diaries. I actually used that as the uh, soundtrack to an animation when I was in high school. And uh, the opening track in Reverse. Um, I just I really like the album. I think it's it's a good listen. Um, but I've never met anybody that ever knew what it was. So <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I'm lost as a ball in high weeds. Well, it's it was a rel- relatively small release. You don't see a lot of reviews on it online. Um, I think it's still out there that you can find. I had a copy for years. I don't know if I still have my copy. At one point, I've mentioned this before. I I s- sold all my CDs when I had you know basically nothing and needed to survive. Um, but um, 
man, like I, I just think it's worth finding and giving a listen to. I, I believe if you look hard enough, it's on Spotify and, uh, and uh, like Google Music or I guess it's YouTube Music now. Yeah. Did you say it was called Passenger? Passenger. It's you're not gonna immediately find it. I had to dig a little bit for it. Like like passenger, like in the driver's seat type mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. Okay. It has an album cover that looks like, um, like corrugated metal. It's a horrible album cover. It's just very indistinct, and it's perfectly 2003. <laughs> like it's it's you look at that album cover, you go, oh yeah, that was made in 2003. Mm, okay. All right. Well, I will check it out. At a later time, because obviously we can't check it out now. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> please, please hold. <laughs> All right. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. What was his name? Anders from, from In Flames? Yes. He's always working, isn't he? Mm-hmm. That's good. Unstub. That, that's pretty good. All right. Cool. So now my second album also was relatively big at the time that it came out, I guess you could say. Um, but I think it's, it's one of those forgotten albums, uh, because it literally came and went in a flash and then all of a sudden it disappeared completely off the planet. Um, Manitoba's wild kingdom with the album and you, uh, came out in 1990. It is the only album released by the band, Um, And for those of you who don't know who Manitoba's Wild Kingdom is, it is comprised of the former members of the Dictators. Um, That was a basically a punk band from the 70s that included Ross the Boss uh, from Manowar. Um, Handsome Dick Manitoba is the lead vocalist. Andy Chernoff is the bassist. And J.P. Thunderbolt Patterson was the drummer. So at some point, all these guys were in the Dictators. And they, the dictators basically, um, disbanded, uh, I believe in the late or the early eighties or the late seventies or whatever it was. Um, and in 1986, a couple of guys decided to get back together. Um, and they made Manitoba's wild kingdom. Then somewhere along the way, they were joined by another former member of, um, the dictators and they decided, Oh, we're just going to be the dictators again. Fuck it. (laughs) So (laughs) that's why the band ended up disappearing. But this album is, is really a, a, an excellent crossover between what punk was or New York punk. Cause New York punk is so different from what California or West coast punks or East coast punk versus West coast punk, two completely different punk styles. Um, where, you know, New York punk was, was, a, a an amalgamation of English punk with new wave, you know, like it eventually turned into new wave kind of stuff, but California punk was like an extreme version of English punk. Mm. That's the way I, that's the way I always, yeah, look at it, I get you know, that. I get that. Yeah. um, you know, and even then, like I would say almost, um, California punk was, or East West coast punk, excuse me, is much more in line with the stuff that was happening in England where New York punk was kind of, or East coast punk was kind of some of that. They took some of that and they made their own kind of stuff. A lot more melodic, I guess you could say. So 
anyhow, and I could be absolutely wrong because I was never a punk fan at all. But some songs like, you know, that, that came out from thrash bands in the eighties that released, you know, covers, those punk songs are pretty cool. Um, so anyhow, they had a big hit called New York, New York, um, in 1990. And that was really a cool freaking song. And then when I picked up the album and I was like, wow, this is really good. Um, I mean, it's got a ton of riffs on there, a ton of melodies, you know, it, it's, which is not your typical punk punk doesn't typically have melodies. That's why it kind of crossed over into the metal portion because metal is much more melodic than punk, but songs like the party starts now haircut and attitude DWI. I want you tonight fired up. I mean the perfect high, all these songs. I mean, I'm seven songs in and it was great. So it, it disappeared for a while. I believe, um, because of the advent of vinyl, uh, the resurgence of vinyl, not the advent, excuse me. Um, the resurgence of vinyl, I believe it came back out on vinyl or maybe it's just, it's the album itself is, is just recirculating. But I saw it on, on, on Facebook a few weeks ago, someone had a copy of it, was trying to sell it for like 30, $40 or whatever it was. Mm. But I mean, if, if anyone can find this album, it is excellent. I, I, highly 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 recommend picking this up because if you have any inkling of 80s metal or and this is a heavier version of 80s metal this is not your 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 poison kind of 80s metal and but it's not thrash metal either um mixed with that 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 punk flavor this is this is going to be something that you really like very cool oh that one's not one i'm familiar with myself so i'm gonna have to check it out as well all right so what do you got all right so my second choice is going to be Heaven's Edge with their debut album. Um, so they were formed in 1987 and uh, released their first album in 1990. Uh, right at kind of the, the end of the glam, you know, we've, we've discussed, you know, the death of glam and the rise of, of uh, grunge music. And uh, so Heaven's Edge, I was never super familiar with. Um, only found them relatively recently through some other music that I was listening to. And, um, you know, this was a band that was Mark Evans, not the, the one from ACDC, um, <laughs> on lead vocals, uh, a guy named Reggie Wu on guitar and keyboards, piano and vocals, uh, Dave Rath on drums, Steve Perry, not the one from, uh, from, J- uh, Journey on guitar <laughs> and uh, Jaron Gulino on bass. Uh, their first album, if if I could compare them to anybody, would be like Skid Row. Um, a little bit harder edge of the glam scene, uh, lyrically and you know musically. Awesome drum sound, very great uh, guitar tone. Um, I was I was really impressed. Actually, I forgot to. Uh, Oh, never mind. I was going to say something, but I I got that wrong. Um, so yeah, like I I had never heard of them. Um, I think one that's one of the benefits of of doing this show is we found lots of music that has kind of popped up and you know been uh, introduced to us ourselves as well as to the listeners, which is cool. Um, so 
What do you, are you familiar with Heaven's Edge? Not in the slightest. I think uh, you're in for a treat because it, I know you like Skid Row as well, at least early Skid Row. I do. And, and so they have a track called Skin to Skin. They that was the only video they ever did. Um, <laughs> lyrically, it's it's. I can imagine it was probably a little bit much at the time. And you know, the, I think the biggest reason that they they never went anywhere, aside from just not really having a huge, uh, you know, backing. They were on Columbia, and uh, the, then they well, like they put out their first album in 1990, right? You know, as you know, t- that was still okay. But by the time their second album came out, it was 1998. They took eight years to write an album, and Nobody cared. Like the the first one barely made a splash. It made 141 on the U.S. charts. So at least there was some amount of traction. They had a song with a video, and then it took them eight years to write another album. And it was it was a different era by then. We so. talked about something like that with another band, a popular band, that you know it took five years to put their albums out. That happened a lot to the 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 bands from the uh, new wave of British heavy metal. You know, some of them got caught True, up in legal yeah. in legal problems. And they lo- they were no longer a viable band. Eight years, especially when you're going into the grunge era and then coming out of the grunge era, no one knew who the fuck you were at that point. I mean, exactly. <laughs> it was like, what happened? And it, it's a re- it is a really good album. Like I've listened to it entirely a couple times, and I thought, wow, like it sucks that this never made it big. But I see completely why. Like, if you realistic and look at history, it, it's like they were doomed from the start. <laughs> really. Well, what I find funny is looking through this this their their bio is they did that one album in 1990. Okay, so they basically I wouldn't say they went on hiatus. I'm pretty sure there was some sort of legal issues there, right? Sure. So, so you got eight years. You put out your second album, and then you again disappear, but you're never. Uh, they were only uh, a non-existent band for a few years in the in the nineties, and then when they reunited, they haven't or got back together, to make that second album in ninety eight. They haven't been apart since. They've been playing this entire time, and I find that amazing because I still have don't know who they are. <laughs> I, I mean, I heard the name, but I've never heard them, and never even thought about hearing them which is amazing but yet they've been together all this time since 1998 so that's pretty pretty amazing i th- i think when you're on your drive tomorrow you need to listen to that track skin to skin i think you'll dig it <laughs> okay i bet <laughs> <laughs> all right um all right that was weird i don't <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know what you're doing on your drive, but yeah. I ain't doing anything on my drive. I'm just trying to get to work awake. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That's why I listen to podcasts. Yep. <laughs> All right. Um, number three for me. Um, and I've mentioned this album before. Uh, when we used to do a, a, a bit early on in the show, we used to do something, some, uh, what you should be listening to, or what should you be listening to or something like that? I can't remember what it's called now. <laughs> Second one. <laughs> it was so many years ago. Um, and I mentioned this album and I had it on there and I'm going to say it again. This is one of those albums that completely needs reconsideration. And this is extreme. 
with the album Waiting for the Punchline that came out in 1995. Now, I was reading a little bit about the album online, and they were talking about how this album had um, a little bit of a grungy edge to it. And I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe I'm kind of... Uh, uh, what's the, what's the word I'm trying to get, trying to find jaded about the whole grunge scene because I was, you know, you know, I, I like my thrash, right? I, I was big into eighties metal. Um, and then as eighties metal kind of turned into nineties metal and went away and these bands forgot how to write good music because their, their record label said, no, you got to do something as grungy. You got to change your look and you got to wear, you know, flannel around your waist and, you know, ripped up jeans and all that shit. Um, this, this album just to me is, it was a growth of an album from extreme. And I look at it as this is a guitar clinic by Nuno Betancourt, an absolute guitar clinic. Um, now the album did come out at a time of turmoil for the band. They were in the midst of, of changing drummers. Paul Geary left the band, uh, I, I guess midway through the album recording. Um, he had done, I think seven of the 10 songs on, on the album or something like that. Uh, and then Mike Mangini, uh, and I, I had it on my notes of dream theater, which by today he's no longer part of dream theater. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. We'll have yeah, to talk about that at some that, point. That was weird. Um, so Mike Mangini, who played with Gene Dream Theater for the last eleven or twelve years, or something like that. Um, he uh, he was the drummer for this for for Extreme on on three of the tracks, and then played on the tour. And then after the tour was over, the band disbanded because Nuno said, "I want to go do a solo career," which he eventually went and joined um, Rihanna's band. Um, during that time and he's i think still part of the band but he's also doing extreme and he's got his own thing going on it's it's really weird kind of vibe there in my opinion but this album uh i mean it's got such good songs i mean the song called there is no god um there's a song called cynical on here which it's actually called cynical fuck but they really couldn't get on the radio with that song title um (laughs) Hip Today, really cool song. Midnight Express, an acoustic uh, instrumental song by Nuno. It's absolutely amazing. Um, no Respect, uh, Evangelism. I mean, this is a really, really, really good album that not a lot of people know about because at this point, Extreme had come out with um, Tragic Comic as their third album. And even though it kind of sold well at first and it had, you know, that the song Cupid's Dead, I think, was a single, it really to me is what ended up tanking extremes career. They went so far away from what they had become with, you know, the porno graffiti album that this album waiting for the punchline was kind of a return to their roots. If you want to look at it that way. But at that point it was already too late, I guess, you know, and the music scene had changed so much, you know, this is 1995. They're at the tail end of grunge becoming, you know, having become so popular and now it's kind of dying down. So again, all these 80, 80s metal bands were trying to reinvent themselves and they reinvented them. They reinvented themselves right out of a fucking career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a real good reinvention. So, 
Um, but this album is amazing to me. I, I, I can't talk enough about this album because I think it's so good, but it didn't get the, the respect it deserves. And I think, uh, you know, they said it was, you know, their song, No Respect, number eight, is absolutely dead on when it comes to this album. That's what Rodney Dangerfield said. <laughs> yeah. He did. No respect. No respect at all. All right. So I've listened to that album. Um, I am also a fan of it. Uh, Extreme is one of those bands that f- they're kind of hit or miss for me. Like, I recognize the talent. Nuno is an amazing player. Uh, Gary Sharon has a very unique voice, except for when he's in Van Halen, then he sounds exactly like Sammy Hagar for some reason. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, that, I think that's a great album. It's a bit overlooked, which is a shame. And uh, you should listen to it as well. So, um, for my third choice, um, I'm going to talk about a band called Lion. Um, Lion had a little bit of fame uh, through some soundtrack stuff. They did a song in Friday the 13th, the final chapter, which is the famous scene where Crispin Glover was dancing and puts on the uh, the uh, a record player. Um, what's interesting about that scene, though, was that was originally supposed to be ACDC, but they couldn't get the rights to the song. Uh, I can't remember what song it was, but so they just put this Lion song over it. And it works like, you know, it's the right, it's the right, uh, uh, time signature. So it works, which is kind of interesting, but, uh, I, that was where I knew them from originally. And also, well, technically I knew them from something originally before that, but I didn't know who they were. Uh, they did the transformers, the movie, uh, theme song from the 1986 film. Um, so I had known them even before I really knew them. Um, so Dangerous Attraction was an album that I just happened to come across. I knew the name Lion. Um, I picked it up and I never looked back. I, I thought Cal Swan has a really good voice. He's actually a Scottish man who's uh, as part of an American rock band. So he has a little bit different take on his vocals, which I really like. Uh, Doug Aldrich, which I think many of you might know from White Snake and Dio as well as Hurricane. Um, he is the guitarist for the band. Uh, Jerry Best, I think people would also know from Dio at, at uh, one point. And then their drummer named uh, Mark Edwards. So uh, Fatal Attraction, I think is a really good album. The first two tracks, Fatal Attraction and Armed and Dangerous, I'm a really big fan of. Um, they have a few other tracks on the album. Uh, Hard and Heavy, Power Love, uh, Shout It Out. You know, pretty typical metal titles of songs which is kind of funny um but um it's a it's i think it's an overlooked album i wouldn't say necessarily a masterpiece by any means but um i always really liked it i never got really as much into their second album trouble in the city or trouble in angel city sorry um but it was still pretty good and uh i'm not really 100 percent sure why they never took off to be honest i think they just never really got any ground in the u.s they released um the album in japan which as we know metal would often be popular in japan but didn't kind of translate to uh popularity here and uh everybody just kind of went their separate ways and did bigger and better things so i think it's a worth worthwhile time to listen especially if you remember that scene in friday the 13th or like me you were a kid that grew up as a big transformers fan 
Um, definitely worth listening to. You know, the name vaguely sounds familiar. Obviously, you know, the members of the band, you know, specifically Doug Aldrich, um, having, you know, been in the band, you know, it, 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 I don't think I ever heard anything from him, but I do see, I'm looking at the album cover and it looks vaguely familiar. You know, I could immediately he's looking at the specs of the album, you know, label Scotty brothers, producer lion. Okay. They self-produced their first album. That already spells trouble. And the reason (laughs) I say that, the reason I say that is because either Scotty brothers was trying to save money, uh, and, or they didn't have enough money to spend on a big producer. One of the two, but a new band, despite however famous or someone might be now, Doug Aldridge at this point wasn't famous. Okay. And, and, uh, their drummer, Mark Edwards, you know, he was part of Steeler still wasn't famous. Okay. And Jerry best wasn't famous yet either. Um, they, they shouldn't have been allowed to self-produce their own, their own album. But so that you it know, sounds good though. No, and and there's nothing wrong with it. I'm, I'm not even trying to get on what, it, what it may or may not sound like. Cause I haven't heard it. But the reason being is I, I look at, you know, song and I'm, I, like I said, I don't know any of these songs, never heard of them, but, or never heard the songs, but it's about a matter of song choice. And it's a matter of not necessarily the production, but what, you know, if you do have a good song in there and your your song choices were okay, which ones are you giving that extra production to to be the big hit single? And and because I see this the label Scotty Brothers who basically put out Survivors, um, uh, what's that big song from them? Um, Eye of the Tiger. That's where they got all their money from. You know, Scotty Brothers. I believe that they were a troubled label, which they obviously don't exist anymore. For sure. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, you, you don't other. believe it, you know, it, right. <laughs> you know, business decisions are things that cause problems as a band, you know? And oh, for the, sure. so, so I'm just looking at all that just on the surface. I'm like, okay, so they're a California band, glam metal, Scotty brothers, self-produced. I'm like, yeah, this was, this was bound to fail <laughs> from the beginning. It's true, but they did manage to make it into multiple films. So there was that like, and that's because Scotty brothers was able to get eye of the tiger into, into Rocky. Rocky. Yeah. And that's why, because they, they were in on the scene of, film producers and executives and that. So they, that's where they got their, their fame or their, their fame and fortune from. And I think that's how that, that was their inside scoop, but it's just funny. Um, just looking at this going, Oh yeah, I, I can see why. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get it. It's still, and, it's unfortunate regardless. And the Scotty brothers also ran an independent motion picture company called Scotty brothers pictures. So they were definitely in on that, that movie making scene. Oh yeah. They were totally into money laundering. Right? What? What? <laughs> <laughs> All righty then. So yeah, I could see, I can, I could, I'll check this out when I get a chance. I mean, I love Doug, Ald- Doug Aldridge. He's a great guitar player. I, th- I think you'll like it. I mean, at least on like, Oh, this was a cool listen. Maybe not like, Oh, I'm going to put this on every day. But you know, like, <laughs> like, I think you'll dig it. It's on heavy rotation. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right, cool. Well, my last album for the evening, for the night, for the day, for today, 
everyone's going to know this record. And everyone's going to sit there and that's not a hidden gem, but think about it. This year marks the 30th anniversary of the release of that album. When was the last time you actually heard about it in the, in the annals of metal history? When was the last time you heard the singer talk about it? Okay. And when was the last time it was readily available in music stores? Right. So when you think about it in those terms, it's a hidden gem. And what I'm talking about is the debut album from the band Fight, which is the first project that Rob Halford did after he took time off. I'm going to put it that way. Took time off from Judas Priest. Okay. Because he wasn't, he did not quit Priest to do Fight. He was taking time off and then eventually got kind of pushed out. <laughs> We'll, we'll put well, it that way. If you never come back, then, then you know that's that's kind of part of the problem. It's it's right. not just a it's not just a me problem. It's a you problem. <laughs> so anyway, I love this album. Um, I mean, like up until Painkiller came out from Judas Priest, I was getting more and more disappointed with every release that Judas Priest was putting out. Turbo to me, even though it was popular because it was, you know, middle 80s uh synth synth metal, if you want to put it that way. Um, and then Ram It Down came out. They tried to do something harder, but the the way that they were structuring the songs, I didn't like. Uh, the, the the way they were adding these bridges that they didn't have before and they were way ultra melodic. I did not like the direction that Judas Priest was going in. Then Painkiller comes out and like, whoa, okay, I can see that. This is really good. When that came out, I was like, okay, wait a second. Now this is the Judas Priest I like. This is the Judas Priest I fell in love with. Still a little bit on the synthy side in terms of the guitars. They were, you know, they were using those uh, synthesizers. <laughs> 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 I'm just going to say synth guitars, okay? Um, <laughs> <laughs> they were using those guitars, and I didn't, you know what? And I was so kind of upset and hurt that they went away from using uh, Fender Strats and Gibson guitars to using Hamer. I don't know. It's just, I felt insulted. I don't know. I have nothing to do with that. But anyhow, when they came out with Painkiller, I was like, okay, this is the priest I like. So now the band uh, goes on hiatus and it's like, all right, what now? You know? And when this album came out, I was like, holy shit. Talk about in your face from the beginning. I mean, you, you have that slow build on that first song into the pit and damn it, if it just doesn't continue on from there. And then, then it kind of has a, a, a middle, it's almost like a concert comes out blazing, has a middle section where, you know, everyone's kind of just getting into a groove and then it comes out at the end or it's just, you know, all guns blazing, no pun intended. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so I love this album. I mean, into the pit. Nail to the gun. I mean, I guess Life in Black is probably the you know one of the weaker songs in the album, but then it jumps to Immortal Sin, War of Words, Laid to Rest for All Eternity, Little Crazy. I mean, that was they did that acoustically on MTV. Contortion, Kill It, Vicious. Man, all those songs 
the drum beats, like Scott Travis's drumming was just like everything I wanted to hear in my mind when I'm, when I'm putting, you know, finger tapping and I'm doing all the extra beats that you never hear bands do. He was doing them. I was like, Oh my God, this is so great. You know? So I really, really enjoy this album. And the one thing I was disappointed with is that when they go come to the second album, Halford has his habit of not wanting to do the same album again, at least do something similar, you know? So they come out with the second album and it's like, Oh God, they just went a completely different direction. That was why power man 5,000 never took off because every time they did an album, they went in a completely different direction. It would turn off whatever fans they did gain from the previous album. Like yeah, you, that's, yeah. that's an odd history you really can't i mean look there's there's a there's a thing about staying in your lane and you know what you can take an exit and come back onto the highway that's fine but don't go you know come off the interstate and then you just start going down a state highway and you're in a different fucking direction you know it's like stay in the feeder road (laughs) (laughs) stay in the access road you know for, for those who don't know what feeder roads are around this country you know it's like come on Make a metal album now. Yeah, I mean the second album is metal, but it's not as it's not as um, I guess not as heavy in, in in reality with with compared to the first one. Same thing happened with um, when Halford put out Halford, and their second album was completely different. You know, it was a Crucible it was completely different than the first album, and it's like, come on, you know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, Small Deadly Space was was a big disappointment. For those of you who uh, follow this band or know about this band and know who played guitar on the first album, it was a gentleman named Russ Parrish. So for those of you who follow Russ's career or who have followed Russ's career up to this point, we'll know that you know in Steel, there's a guy in Steel Panther named Satchel who looks vaguely familiar to this guy, Russ Parrish, because... <laughs> Guess what? It's the same guy. Russ Parrish has made a career with Steel Panther, and that's pretty awesome. Um, after he left fight, kind of just wallowed in the mire, if you want to look at it that way, and did his own thing for a long time, and then uh, re- reemerged with uh, Steel Panther and, and been uh, been successful with that, if you put it that way, <laughs> with Steel Panther. Yeah, I mean, I... I- actually love the first few steel panther albums i i haven't enjoyed the newer stuff as much um but the first few albums are just amazing like the the guitar work you'd be surprised for the for as dumb and as as like sexist and and everything that the lyrics are which i mean i think it's hilarious but um you know the the music itself is it is what really like allows it to function. If the music sucked, then people would just go, Oh, this is crap, you know, but <laughs> the music carries what they're doing. So, um, yeah, I, I love that first five fight album. I think it's the best one by far. Um, it hits heavy, like you said, right from enter the pit. And it's, it's a great album all the way through. Like if you, if you were chronologically listening to, you know what Rob Halford did, and and it and it you know carrying over. Fight makes sense from Painkiller. You know it's 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 different. It's not the same thing, but it's heavy in a different way, which is still awesome. Yeah, I mean 
it definitely is a, is a continuation of what he was doing in Painkiller. It's probably some of his best vocals as far as his screaming and his whole style. Uh, it, I mean, absolutely amazing stuff. So I, I, I mean, I say if if you could, if someone could find it out there, because you know, years later they they released an anniversary edition with remix version of it, and and we went over this recently, you and I, and I really enjoy the remix version now. I didn't at first, um, but I now I, I prefer some of the mixes that are on the remix version over the original, even though the original to me is is a classic. I mean, it's one of that's one of those Desert Island albums, in my opinion. Nice. All right, so what's your fourth and final one? All right, so my fourth and final album for the for the day uh, is Their Rock Is Not Our Rock from Fireball Ministry. Uh, Fireball Ministry, I think, is a really overlooked band. Um, I think the only minor hit that they really had was uh, a song called The Broken, which appeared in WWE SmackDown vs. Raw 2006. Um, I mean, I guess they had a couple other things. They, if you're, you know, familiar with CKY, um, I would, I believe the song King appeared in Viva La, Bra- Viva La Bands, which was a uh, compilation for the, uh, like Viva La Bam stuff that was associated with CKY. Um, but their rock is not our rock was the first album of theirs that I found. Um, I love the song, the broken sundown is really cool. Um, two tears. Under the Thunder, like, it, for me, like, the whole album is really good. Um, I love the album that came before it as well. Um, so I think both of those, to me, are, like, their peak moments. But they've put out um, five albums, including one in 2017, which uh, I wasn't as big of a fan as the Fire Fireball Ministry self-titled album in 2010. Uh, but by the this 2017 album, seven years later, um, the lead singer, uh, uh, James Rota, he, he, he went through some fluctuation in his health and I'm not exactly sure what happened, but by that time he got very healthy again and his vo- vocals got a bit better and I really enjoyed that newest album. But for me, their rock is not our rock is like their peak album. Um, it's it, like what the, what you would call like biker metal or stoner metal, um, kind of groovy, grungy kind of sound. And, um, it's not typically what I like, but they have like some really great riffs that are just, they're catchy and the vocals are a bit growly, kind of heavy. Um, you know, and, and I just immediately was attracted to this band and, and I, you know, have always been a fan. So every once in a while I kind of forget and I go, oh shit, I should listen to them, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, um, right. This one, I, I think I showed you a couple songs, uh, but definitely you should check out like their discography. Uh, I think pretty much the whole thing is really good. Yeah, I did. I checked it out. I, I think it's pretty cool, uh, quite actually. Um, and for those of you who don't know, um, the current bass player is Scott Reeder from the band Kaios. So mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, what, I, when, what you played for me and what I heard thought was really cool, I have not gone on to continue to listen to it just because yeah, if we only have so much time so many freaking hours in a day <laughs> man and i i don't have like i don't have 24 <laughs> so i have a lot less <laughs> so anyhow well that's cool man so those um those are our eight basically for each um 
hidden gems that I think that if you have, if you do not have them, you should go out and get them or at least give it a try. Listen to it on Spotify, find it on, you know, on YouTube or whatever, and give it a chance and, and listen to them because I think all of these albums in their own right are really, really good albums. So give them a listen to. All right. So that brings us to our big four for tonight. And all right. So this big four is really cool. Um, it is the big four metal duets. So the biggest caveat with this is that the band cannot do a duet within themselves. This is a guest singer singing on the song or album or whatever it is. Um, I think this is a pretty cool big four. Uh, we haven't done anything like this in a while. So uh, why don't you go ahead and go first on this one? Okay. Uh, so my number four is the uh, song that inspired this this big four. Uh, Fake Healer from uh, My Cow. Well, <laughs> say that My Cow. It's from Metal Church with My Cow on vocals and Todd LaTorre. Uh, Todd LaTorre being the singer, current singer of uh, Queensryche. Um, I hadn't heard this version. It, it came up on a playlist of, you know, I started with one song and it selects music that they think is similar. And, uh, this one came up and I was like, is that Todd LaTorre? That sounds great. And it was, it was really cool. I, in fact, I came in, I think I came inside the office at work and I, ca I came up to you and I was like, Hey, have you heard that version? And so I was like, was, this is a really badass uh, version of the song. So definitely check that one out. Uh, my number three is uh, <laughs> from a band that uh, you mentioned earlier from Steel Panther uh, with guest vocalist Chad Kroger. Uh, this is a very wholesome song called It Won't Suck Itself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is I can totally see Chad singing this song. Yeah, he has a, he has a, a section of the song and it's just so funny because it's like, yeah, I mean, he sounds great on it, so um, it's probably the only time that a Nickelback guy is going to be on one of my big four, but we'll see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my number two is uh, Stillborn from uh, Black Label Society with a guest vocals of Ozzy. Um, Zach with Ozzy, they sound great together. Uh, go figure. You know, they have some chemistry. I think they've worked together on one or two albums before. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, I think this album, I mean, this song in particular, just sounds so good. Um, That's you know, my favorite BLS song. Oh, for sure. It's it's definitely my favorite. Um, and uh, that addition of Ozzy's vocals. And, and Zach's vocals always sounded kind of Ozzy-ish to me. Um, so I was like... When I heard it, I was like, "Was that Ozzy and Zach?" Like, <laughs> I was so confused. But um, awesome song. And my number one is the one you love to hate uh, from Bruce Dickinson with Rob Halford. Um, you know, I'm two absolute metal gods singing a song together, uh, and it happens to be a really kick-ass one. Um, absolutely love that song. It's uh, it's always going to be one on the, my universal playlist and just a, you know, really kick-ass song that deserves the number one slot in my look, my, my book. Does it now? In my book, yes. In your book. Well, who's writing <laughs> your book, huh? <laughs> All right. I don't know. I hope it's somebody good. <laughs> I don't know about that guy. <laughs> All right. Um, my number four for this 
big four metal duets. Um, so we have 25% crossover. Just keep that in mind. Okay. Number four for me is, um, a song called don't touch me there by Lizzie Borden and Betsy bitch. Um, this was on an EP that came out in the eighties. Uh, I believe it was called terrorizing the EP and, um, Betsy bitch was the lead singer of a band called bitch eighties metal band, um, signed to metal blades back in the day. So, you know, because they were label mates, they were able to easily process the uh the contractual negotiations to be able to sing together and it's a really cool song it's it's essentially exactly sort of like you know it won't suck itself it's very uh (laughs) it's very kind of like you know what we're talking about um although they love to play it off you know don't touch me there it's a really cool song the way they, they they go back and forth with it so pretty neat song um number three for me is a song called Locked and Loaded from the band Jackal with guest vocals by Brian Johnson from ACDC. Now, anybody who knows Jackal knows that they sound a lot like ACDC. And so if you're not listening carefully, you're thinking, who's who's singing what at this point? Because it's, it could be Brian, it could be Jesse. So <laughs> who knows? But it's a super cool song. I love the riff on it. Um, I haven't heard it in a while. I need to make sure I can, I can hear it again. All right. Number two, uh, is a song called lift me up by five finger death punch. Uh, Ivan Moody on vocals with guest appearance by Rob Halford himself from Judas priest. This is such a cool song. Um, we don't talk enough about five finger death punch on this, on this show because they're more modern. They're, they're a combination of several different kinds of styles of metal and not all of them are that, uh, are we all into <laughs> Chris, <laughs> so, <laughs> but I really, really, really enjoy this song. Killer riff, killer melody. The, the chorus is super cool. Um, so if you get a chance to check it out, and my number one is the same as your number one, the one you love to hate from Halford and Bruce Dickinson. Absolutely amazing. It was what inspired what was supposed to be the three tremors, but that never got off the ground because there was people who didn't want Dio in it. And there was people that wanted Jeff Tate and did all sorts of things. But this is what was the inspiration behind Jeff that. Tate wanted Jeff Tate. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff Tate wanted Jeff Tate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he he was in the background like, hey, you want Jeff Tate? <laughs> Who said but, that? But the, the one you love to hate, awesome, awesome song. I love it. Um, and it was it was funny because this album and came out at a time that I was going into in, through a transition of getting back into listening to heavy metal on a regular basis, and expanding my horizons, if you will. Um, you know, new metal was so taking over and I was not kind of into everything. And then this Halford came back out and I'm like, oh, Halford, you know, what does it sound like? And this song came on. I was like, holy shit, this is a good song. Fucking riff is amazing on this. So get it. Listen to it. It's awesome. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Well, that's our big four metal duets, and that brings an end to this week's episode of Debating Metal. Remember, you can listen to all 148 of our episodes whenever or wherever you like just by clicking like or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. 
And don't forget to interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com. If you listen to us on YouTube, be sure to leave us a comment and ring that bell to be notified when we post a new episode. And remember to tune in to our next episode as we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe and always turn it up to 11. See ya!